the What I Watch Tonight show. Morning, afternoon or evening, wherever you are in the world, and welcome to the movie quarter from what I watch tonight. My name is Matt Hudson, and joining me once more is Maine's Finest, the YouTube movie dude and my now clean-shaven co-host. That would be Cody Curtis, and yeah, oh jeez, I completely forgot to mention that, is the fact that I, I shaved just this morning, and the facial hair, it's just completely gone. But Matt, how are you doing today? Not bad at all. I've, in my uh, desire to be Cody, I've joined a gym recently and I've been tonight and I must say I am aching like a mother, but <laughs> for films, I am here. I can imagine so. What? Well, congratulations on that for joining the Thank gym. You. I mean, it is something that I, I encourage everybody to do and I'll, okay, compared to July and August of earlier this year, I, I'm not in as nearly good of a shape as I was. I I, I got a little bit of chub. I'm not going to the lie. Put on a little tiny bit of weight, but you know, it's winter season. It's perfect time for that. Plus, I'm not going to lie. Life has gotten so much busier since the last time we talked. School has started up. Getting ready for all the Oscar bait movies that are coming out this next yes. coming out this fall. I mean, it's busy 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 but i yeah matt congratulations congrats on joining jim that's fantastic thank you i used to go a few years ago but it's only recently i've started going again and i, I enjoy it except when i'm there because it's pain but yeah. you know what they always say no pain no gain I mean, yeah, that's true. It's pain or gain. And let's face it, you go into the gym, it's pain. And then you get out of the gym, you feel amazing afterwards. But that's exactly how I felt. You know what? Speaking of movies, Matt, I think it's time for us to move right on and talk about movies because we've got a lot to talk about on today's episode. (laughs) We have got a lot. So for those joining the movie quarter for the first time every three months, Cody and myself, we revisit the previous quarter in the world of film. So in this case, we're going to be talking about July, August and September. We give our opinions on the major releases and, of course, a recommendation, a thumbs up or thumbs down. So as Cody said, we are stacked. So without any further, what month are we going to be talking about first and what's in it? All right. Everybody who's listening, ladies and gentlemen, Matt, we are going to be talking about the month of July first. And in the month of July, we're going to be talking about the first purge, followed by Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again, or known as Mamma Mia 2, Mission Impossible Fallout, Skyscraper, 8th Grade, Unfriended, Terminal, not THE Terminal with Tom (laughs) Hanks, First Reformed, and Hotel Artemis. That's a, this is a short month compared to the other ones. The first <laughs> Purge. Now, this is a prequel to the original Purge, which I think was 2013. On a whole, I'm not a massive fan of the Purge franchise. I liked the first one. I thought it was okay. The second one, the Anarchy, I liked that the, the most. Election Year was a bit... But this was <laughs> another level of just bad. Okay. 
Okay, it looks Good like start. it looks like we're starting out this with our first disagreement. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is great. Now, okay, do I think the first purge? It's not like it's not a major disagreement. Do I think the first purge is a good movie? No, no, not really. But I won't deny that. While I was in the movie theater, I did have a considerable amount of enjoyment watching it simply because of the origin story aspect of the movie. And and same thing. The first Purge I thought was nah. I thought it was okay. The, the Purge Anarchy I thought really was where the Purge series, the franchise, found its stride. Because it was just mm-hmm. – it was basically Saw horror movie nonsense and – We were there watching what happens on the purge night. We were watching people be chased, people be killed. We were watching what happens when really the purge is unleashed on America. And expanded that story. I mean, I had I had a lot of fun with the purge anarchy. I thought that was great. The first purge. I don't think I had as much fun as I did with anarchy. I had some fun, but is it good? No, it's it's. (laughs) I'm not afraid to admit it. 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 I mean, the first purge. It's it's kind of guilty pleasure territory for me. There's a couple of films in this episode which are going to delve into that kind of guilty pleasure. Some work, some don't. I mean, I liked I liked Yolanda and Lex Scott Davis, and there was a character called Skeletor. I thought he was pretty cool. Um, <laughs> but I don't know. I think it's just a case for me. It was a case of these films are made for a small budget. They do make in excess of 100 million bucks worldwide, so they bring in a very decent return. So money talks. So I'm guessing that's why they keep doing it. For me, it was a bit. It didn't bring anything new to the party, which is kind of what I wanted to see more of. But the the, uh, the TV series seems to be doing better. Yeah, I would think so. First of all, it's a TV series. Of course, it's going <laughs> to do better. But the yeah. fact of the matter, the way I look at the Purge franchise at this point is after the first Purge, I really don't think they're going to continue it. But for a while, I thought it was this generation's. Uh, version of saw like because it was a horror franchise that a few people liked when it first got started out but it was really for a selected audience second one came out got more people invested and then every film since then has just kind it's been a cash grab essentially so in that sense it's been like the saw franchise although uh, i won't deny that jigsaw was another guilty pleasure for me last year (laughs) yeah i was i thought that was okay I thought it was better than the last few Saw films. Yeah, absolutely. But the first Purge, I think my biggest problem with it was definitely the script. Because I've never been a big fan of the Purge screenplays, the the way the dialogue was structured and the way the plot unfolded. And the first Purge, while I thought some elements worked, for the most part, the biggest disappointment for me was definitely how the screenplay was constructed and how the story unfolded. Yeah, the ending was it kind of divulged more into an action film rather than the um, thriller slash horror, whatever you want to call it, genre we had before. I thought the ending did kind of just go off tack completely. But for me, I'm going to give it a thumbs down, I think. Yeah, I I think I'm with you there. Honestly, I think this is the kind of film where if you get a, a bunch of people together and there's you know, drinks in the room, I think it can be enjoyable. But that's funny because that's coming from somebody who doesn't drink. But I have heard <laughs> I have heard and seen that alcohol can loosen people up. So that might be the only scenario where the first purge would be enjoyable. But yeah, for me also I'm gonna have to give it a thumbs down. So I think this is the first time in the this is the third episode that we've both dis- both agreed to 
uh, on the first film being a bit of a downer. But yeah. Um, next up, Mamma Me, here we go again. What was your thoughts on on this one? I thought it was okay. Once again, I don't think I enjoyed it all that much, <laughs> and that's simply because I was never a, a big fan of the first Mamma Mia film. Like I, and this is coming from somebody who has a theater background, who loves musical theater and movie musicals. And Mamma Mia, here we go again. For first thing, was it Lily Evans, uh, the main girl in the Lily film? Lily James. Yeah, Lily James. What I can say about her is, for me personally, I thought she was the best part of the movie. I agreed. I mean, from Pride and Prejudice versus Zombies to Cinderella to to Baby Driver, I have loved Lily James. I think she's fantastic. And once again, with Mamma Mia, here we go again. She's fantastic, but. Also, I did think the music did get my foot tapping in the theater, and I think the music is overall better than it was in the first film. But as a whole, I never I never really got all that invested with the characters or the plot. So for me, I just really didn't care all that much. Yeah, I I preferred it when they focused more in the 70s, when it was Lily James's character which who was uh, Meryl Streep's character in the first film. This is her younger self. I preferred it when it was her meeting the three potential dads. It was a lot more fun. It just felt a bit more... I don't know, it just felt a bit more genuine. It felt like they're having more fun. Yeah, this one's more story-based, I think, than the first one. But that said, the story for this film is, is terrible. Yeah, I had it a, is. I had a good time with it. I, when I was watching it, it made me feel good. It similar to a kind of film like The Purge, when you're watching something and you think... I know this isn't very good, but some people will get enjoyment out of it. For this one, I did. Uh, I was tapping my feet. Pierce Brosnan does sing, but only a, for a very small amount of time. Thank goodness. Y- yes, <laughs> you get to see Cher, and I wish I bet she wishes she could turn back time because she wasn't great in this film. But well, you know, um, when it comes to Cher, I was just expecting Christina Aguilera to pop up on screen at some point. <laughs> yes, <laughs> we didn't get her, unfortunately. That may have made the film a bit better, but. No, I, I enjoyed it. It got a, it had a nice ending. I, I enjoyed how they tied everything up. I can't imagine they're going to do another one, but as we've seen with The Purge, never say never. Now, I had a good time with Mamma Mia. It was colourful, cheesy, but it was fun. So if you were to ask me, would I, would I tell others to watch it? Guiltily, why not? <laughs> yeah, and for me, if anybody listening can't tell, for me, it's definitely a thumbs down. It's a big thumbs down from Cody. So that's our first actual disagreement of the episode. So two show, two in. I think we'll be on the same wavelength next. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right, Matt. I think that you and I are going to agree with this. It's a little film that a few people may know of. It's also <laughs> the best summer movie to come out this entire year. And that is Mission Impossible Fallout. Now, if you couldn't now, if you can't already understand by my voice about Mission Impossible Fallout. This, in my opinion, was the. There are films that came out this summer. As far as an action, fun, what summer movies are all about, Mission Impossible Fallout is without a doubt the best summer movie that came out this year. And there's several reasons for that. First of all, Christopher McQuarrie, like above anything else, 
if there's one thing that he showed is that he is an A-class director. Because if you look at what he did in Rogue Nation and what he brings with Mission Impossible Fallout, they're two completely different entities. Number two, the action sequences along with that. It's fantastic. It's nail-biting. It is the Mad Max Fury Road of this year. It just does not stop. And for me, I never thought when it came to Mission Impossible there would be someone that would overshadow Tom Cruise. But Henry Cavill, (laughs) without getting into spoilers here, Henry Cavill for me gave the best performance of this film and the best performance for his career, quite frankly, because in this film, he does something that nobody, I don't think anybody, at least I was not expecting. And it blew me away. And the little nuances that he puts into his character, it was just incredible. Mission Impossible Fallout is phenomenal. What do you think, Matt? Just absolutely the same. This is one of the best action films I've seen in such a long time. It's it's about two and a half hours long, but it didn't feel like that, which was the most perfect thing for me, because usually you're going to get parts that drag and feel slow and feel, but parts you could trim off. I didn't get that at all in this film. And you've got obviously the the halo jump over Paris, that one scene, sorry, the one stunt that Cruz did that everybody's talking about. It is incredible. There's an amazing motorbike chase in this film. The action set pieces and the and those kind of big moments in the film all hit. And on Henry Cavill, pff, if I saw him in the street, I'm not messing with that man. He's jacked. So that that guy <laughs> is a big guy. Is uh, not only is he incredibly handsome, he's also <laughs> a very tough looking guy. But yeah, yeah, I, I, I agree on Macquarie. I think he's directed this film wonderfully and. I like how I like how he's taken Ethan Hunt's character and kind of expanded on all the other films that came before, but still made it feel relevant and something that I want to see. They unlike, unlike I guess unlike Bond, kind of before Daniel Craig or the Bourne Identity, but the Bourne films. I want to see more of Ethan Hunt, even though this is six films in what twenty odd years later. I'm fully invested, and I now can't wait for what comes next. Yeah, no, and I didn't Simon didn't Simon Pegg help write the screenplay for this film or was yes, that Yes, he did, yeah. Okay, yeah, that's what I thought because as far as I recall, there wasn't a lot of humor in Follow and and for my personal taste, I thought as far as a Mission Impossible film goes, this is probably the closest to an R rating I've ever seen a Mission Impossible get mm-hmm. besides Mission Impossible 3 because that was that was dark. But if we're going to talk about Henry Cavill I I love Henry Cavill as a performer, but the thing I think he's he is definitely one of the guys that all of us love to hate because we love him as a performer, but <laughs> he's also that one guy everybody wants to look like and he's yeah. also that one guy everybody wants to act like because Henry Cavill is a gentleman through and through and it's just sometimes it's just not fair. Although I love Henry <laughs> Cavill. Henry Cavill He could even rock a mustache as well. On a, I, I wish Henry Cavill would be cast as Bond, to tell you the truth. I would love to see Henry Cavill as James Bond for a little bit. He'd certainly look the part. I loved him in The Man From U.N.C.L.E., which oh, I don't think yeah. enough people saw that film. Yeah, very but, underrated. Um, he'd certainly he'd look good in the suit. I think he could do the, the kind of suave Bond well. I think mm. he could do the action, of course. I th- why not? I think he's the perfect candidate. I know uh, the, the dude from The Bodyguard, people are mentioning him, but... Why not give it to Henry Cavill? Apparently, he it was between him and Daniel Craig for the role originally. But why not? Henry Cavill's grown as an actor. He's uh, he's matured. He's got better. 
he looks the part. He and help. It's a Bond film. You want somebody to look the part who can do those action scenes and who can also swill a martini with with class. Henry Cavill's the man for that. He definitely is. He definitely is. And on that note, everybody get your arm pumps ready because I think Matt and I are both going to give this the same rating. For me, it is a giant Mission Impossible class thumbs up. I would jump out of a helicopter over Paris to give this a thumbs up. (laughs) I would ride on an airplane. And that's Rogue Nation, (laughs) not Fallout, for those of you listening. (laughs) Hang off the wing of that plane just for this film. Alrighty. Talking about big stunts, over to you. Yeah, talking about big stunts. Um, I don't know if we're going to disagree with this or not, but the next film is a film that, once again, I was just kind of fine with. I didn't really enjoy it all that much, and that's Skyscraper. Now, what I'll say is, because I want to pass this to Matt to give him his thoughts, is the best part of this film for me overall was Dwayne Johnson. That man, first of all, he is a machine and a half with everything that he's doing right now. But the fact of the matter is he has proven himself time and time again that he is he's improving his acting capability. For me personally, this is the best performance he has ever given. And I know I mean, Dwayne Johnson films, take it or leave it. But this guy is proving himself to be a phenomenal actor through and through. And that was the best part of the movie for me. Honestly, this whole movie kind of fell flat and just felt like a diehard ripoff. Yep, I agree with Dwayne Johnson. I don't think I've ever known anybody to work so hard. I mean, he has, what, 15 films a year? (laughs) And not not all of them are going to... Exactly, not all of them are going to work. Some do. Some watch. I didn't. Oh, I didn't dislike Baywatch. I thought it was okay. I thought it was, I thought it was a bit of fun. However, skyscraper. Yeah, you're right. Without Dwayne Johnson's just charisma and his just him essentially in his hero performance, this movie would fall down further. It's basically an 102 minutes of just things going bang. Yeah. <laughs> um. Also on acting, I thought Nev Campbell was solid. I haven't seen her in an awful lot over the last few years, but I thought she was. Um, as solid as Dwayne Johnson's wife in the film, and she got a bit more to do than just being a, a damsel in distress. But it's good to see her um, in something other than screen and, and just back on the big screen. But yeah, uh, Dwayne Johnson doesn't make this a good film because it isn't a good film, yep. but he is the best part of it. And like I said, we try not to go into spoilers, and I shan't do, but if you've seen the trailer for Skyscraper, you've seen the film. Yeah. You've seen the best parts of the film, I think. But yeah, this is a. It's hard to say whether I like or dislike this film because when I was watching it, I think similar to yourself, it just kind of washed over me somewhat. I watched it. Oh, that that part was cool. Oh, that was fun. That was terrible. I don't like the kid actors. And then, then when I finished, I thought, well, okay, I've seen that. <laughs> What's next? It's just kind of it was just kind of there in this month. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I wanted to like Skyscraper so much because I love Dwayne Johnson, but. Honestly, I feel as though the best thing for Skyscraper is it should have been rated R. It should have been a hard R action movie. If that was the case, I feel as though it could be kind of like a diehard for this generation. But overall, unfortunately, I got to give Skyscraper a thumbs down. I'm going to move your other hand and give it a thumbs down as well from me. I've decided it's it's just too average to be anything... More than that, I couldn't. I wouldn't even recommend it for a pizza and a beer night because it's quite. It's just 
meh, to be honest. But I wanted it because I wanted more. But, you know, he, the, the Rock isn't going to win every fight. Yeah, but no. The, the next film's been getting an awful lot of hype, an awful lot of praise from a first-time director, and that's Eighth Grade um, from uh, Bo Burnham. Uh, <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> yes. Um, Take it away. Well, if... <sighs> <laughs> eighth grade first of all i just want to give some praise to bo burnham not before directorial or anything else him as a comedian he is my favorite perform uh as far as musical and comedy is concerned he is my favorite comedian and there's a simple reason for that he's out of anybody else i've seen i personally believe that bo burnham besides childish gambino is the most revolutionary artist of our time the way wow. this gentleman speaks about entertainment and the industry of entertainment is like nothing else i've ever seen the way he speaks about he doesn't generally go into a lot of politics with his humor but i love his brand of comedy and when it comes to eighth grade this is one this is awesome uh eighth grade first of all I can't say completely because I think A Star is Born might take this place, but eighth grade right now is my favorite film of the year. It's from top to bottom, the performances, the realistic nature of eighth grade. I not only think it's the best film of this year, I also think that it is the best coming of age film that's come out, period. Because if you can take a story about eighth graders, if you can... Because most coming-of-age stories, you see them, they're either about adults or they're about people in high school. If you can take a story about children who are barely turning 13 and make it so relatable to everybody, that is a skill. And the fact that Bo Burnham was able to do this with such mastery and such class to make it feel like he's been doing this for years, that's impressive. And needless to say... Elsie Fisher, she, she's awesome. She was amazing. It's one of the best childish per performances, quite frankly, I've ever seen. And I think I've spoke my piece. But Matt, what do you think about eighth grade? I thought it was awesome. I was being prodded and prodded and prodded to watch this. And it only recently came out over here. So I finally got to see it. And on Elsie Fisher, she's wonderful. Do you know what the best part of her performance was she never felt like 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 it was a, an act like a parody it just felt believable and there's those times you can the happy times she has you you feel them and you cringe with her and sometimes at her and you really feel it there are times when you, your heart sinks for her and then you have to remind yourself it's a film because like you say you get drawn into its relatability even though we are you know a lot older than the eighth graders being being portrayed on screen but I thought, yeah, I thought it was awesome. I'm one of the only people I think who liked Rough Night from last year, which Bo Burnham was in. So uh, I'm glad he's come back with another great comedy, and, uh, another great film. Sorry, but there's not an awful lot to dislike about this film. I mean, what you've got anxiety, insecurities, and that need to find yourself. That's your kind of key messages, and everything that the, the pressure that comes of being that age in this new social media environment we live in, which is. Hard enough for adults. I mean, yeah. well, try, put, try putting movie reviews out. You'll get <laughs> and try and get a good good response from some of them. But yeah. being that age when you know everything matters, you know, well, I remember being thirteen and I didn't have the tech that these kids did. But still, everything everything mattered. And of course, when you grow up, you you learn to you learn to 
move on from things, but how you are at that age kind of shapes you, and you never kind of you never drop those experiences. And I think Bo Burnham has managed to capture those so well. It's such a sharply written film. The dad in it is fantastic. It's just one of those films that kind of comes along every now and then, and it's just fantastic. There's not there's there's nothing. I can't think of anything, and I couldn't when I was watching it, that I didn't like. And sometimes, as people who review movies, we do kind of look with that critical eye. But there's nothing... It, it breezed along at a great pace. The writing was good. The the uh, performances were believable. The story was believable. And I had a good time with it. It made me feel an awful lot of emotions as I watched it. So, for me, what more could I want? It was a fantastic film. Yeah. Eighth grade... I can't speak enough praises about this movie. This is the movie that it, it's like I said, Mission Impossible Fallout. Do I think it's the best summer movie of the year? Yeah, 100 percent. Eighth grade. And when I think of a summer movie, I think summer blockbuster. When mm-hmm. I describe summer movies, I don't believe eighth grade is a summer movie. I just think it's a overall. I think it's just a phenomenal film like summer or otherwise depend it doesn't matter eighth grade is a film that could have come out in january it could have come out towards oscar season which i am really hoping that bo burnham gets a lot of love for what he did with eighth grade i hope it gets nominations for best screenplay and best picture because i totally think it deserves it and bo burnham was also in the big sick last year Yes, it was CJ, I think he was, yeah. Yeah, he was CJ. And I think I'm going to wrap this up now because we still have a lot of films to get to. So I think I'm going to do my best to try to shorten my thoughts even a little bit more. But eighth grade, it's (laughs) a... If I could give more thumbs up than I can give thumbs up right now, I would give all the thumbs up. But eighth grade is phenomenal. Uh, Amen. Two thumbs up and a couple of big toes as well. Fantastic. If If you get a chance to watch it in time soon, guys, do check it out. It's only an hour and a half, and you'll you you'll surely love it. And if you don't, that's fine. But I'm sure you will do. As for the next film, um, I'm interested to know Cody's thoughts on this. It's a horror film, uh, Unfriended Dark Web. Yeah, Unfriended. It's actually funny because Unfriended the Dark Web was not in my area for very long, and I, I'll say that uh, this is another film that I was just kind of meh on, and. Yeah, that's really all I'm going to say about it. So if I'm going to give my thoughts right now, because I don't really want to talk that much about Unfriended the Dark Web, because I saw it, I thought it was fine. It was a movie that passed the time, but I can't really recommend anybody else go to see it, because it was also... I I love the first Unfriended film, just because of how unique and how special the movie is. But with Unfriended the Dark Web, it's one of those things where... I was just completely bored by watching it. What do you think, Matt? I liked the first half of the film, I think, when there was more of a mystery and everything was being set up because I actually believed that these kids could be friends. And I like the the style of Unfriended and another film we're going to talk about later on as well, this kind of on-screen visuals. I like it. I think it worked. when it's done well, it works. But as the film went on, yeah, I just thought it just fell too far into this vanilla, vanilla territory, and it was it lost a lot of traction the further into the story it went. When it was just a mystery, it was great. When it became more of a sort of standard slasher or horror film, it fell apart for me. But I, yeah, I thought I thought the idea that this could actually happen, 
or they're you know feasibly parts of this could happen or probably do happen in real life. That's slightly unnerving. But yeah, as the film went on, it became more and more silly, and the ending just frankly annoyed me. So if it, <laughs> I liked the first half, but but overall, judging on how the overall film went, I wouldn't give it any recommendation. Yeah, no, it's just a thumbs down for me. Yep, same here. All right, so the next film we're going to be talking about is one that I will let Matt take the floor with because that would be the, uh, not the Terminal, but Terminal. <laughs> so, and I have not seen this movie, so Matt, go ahead and take it away. I will quickly breeze through this one. The, the, the Terminal would be better to talk about, I think. <laughs> terminal is uh, produced by Margot Robbie, who also leads the film. It had a fairly solid cast, but it's one another one of those sort of futuristic dystopian films which I've got to say I'm getting slightly bored of only because no other than things that got Blade Runner 2049 there's nothing new being brought to the party by some of these middling films but yeah, Terminal it's a kind of grimy indie thriller with a femme fatale in it I like Mar- Margot Robbie in it I like her in pretty much most things she's in Mike Myers is in it and he gives one of the weirdest performances of the year it's a very strange performance from him. It's, a, it's about an hour and a half long, but it feels about three and a half hours long at times. It jumps backwards and forwards between different storylines. Tonally, it's messy. The ending is... There's about five endings, and even all, all five of them are frustrating. It's cluttered, convoluted. The twists, some of them work, some of them don't work, but similar to something like Skyscraper, if it wasn't for Marco Robbie's star power, this film would this film would crash and burn faster than I think it already has. So uh, as much as I wanted to like this film, I couldn't. So it's a thumbs down for me for Terminal. Yeah, all right. That sounds great, Matt. And (laughs) I think you're going to have to take this next one because I haven't seen this one either. (laughs) I will happily take this one. The next one is First Reformed, directed by Paul Schrader, starring Ethan Hawke. And Paul Schrader, I mean, he's, he's the guy behind Taxi Driver, The Last Temptation of Christ, uh, Raging Bull, American Gigolo, and the uh, Dominion, the prequel to The Exorcist. So this guy has pedigree. Uh, but he was also directed some absolute turkeys. So he's kind of, for me, Paul Schrader's a mixed bag. But when he gets it right, he gets it right with his with his uh, stories of faith and humanity and redemption and destruction. He knows how to tell a good story. And in first uh, reform, which is an A24 flick, for me... He has crafted the best film of the entire year. It is awesome. It's about a, a priest who loses who's losing faith in the church, but not just because you know he's seen things. It's because of the environmental issues and what's going on in the world. That's a very top line synopsis. You'd have to watch it, but it's it's so sharply written. Ethan Hawke's performance is the best he's ever given. <sighs> I don't want to say too much because I don't want to be hyperbole and for people to, you know, think I'm overselling this film. But it's an astonishingly good piece of cinema. It's scathing. It's tragic. It's ruminative. Amanda Seyfried is not the same person she was in Mamma Mia <laughs> in this film. It's cautionary. It's big. It's bold. It's fantastic. I mean, I could throw adjectives all day at this film, but technically, it's fantastic. It has a very ambiguous and ending which i know has caused a lot of people a lot of strife because it some films live and die by their endings and this may do to some people i liked it i know other people will not like the ending to this film but for me it is the best film of the year 
and I'm already looking forward to the Oscars ignoring it completely. Really? I the best I think the best film of I, the year? Really? For me for me it is. I I'd heard people saying it was pretty good and other people giving it high praise. Um but I watched it and I was just I was mesmerized by it. There's a fantastic um speech a scene between mm. Ethan Hawke and another dude in the film who I won't say too much about because of his role in the film. But it's about five minutes of just those two sitting opposite each other talking and it's framed and shot so well. It's like a stage piece. It's it's just a, t- a very timely bit of cinema with the messages. And I was absolutely hooked on everything. And yeah, once again, Ethan Hawke is superb. In an ideal world for me, he'd be up for Best Actor and this film would be up for Best Picture. I can't see either happening. I just I think it's one of those films that just just flies under the radar too much, despite the fact that it has got some pretty good hype around it. But if you get a chance to see it, do so. I mean, I'm I'm sure not everybody's going to share my absolute enthusiasm about it. I know a lot of people do, but that ending will make or break it for a lot of people. But for me, number one so far. Okay, well, I'm not going to doubt you on that, considering I haven't seen it. But <laughs> Check it out when you can. All right, we'll certainly do. But it's time for us to move on to the next one, and that is a film I had a pretty good time watching, and that's Hotel Artemis. Now, this film, did I have problems with it? Yeah, there is a lot of problems with Hotel Artemis. But this film, I thought the performances all around were great, from Sofia Batella, from Jeff Goldblum for the short little bit that he shows up um i thought that um uh did, oh gosh what is the main girl's name i could jodie foster yes and i shouldn't forget her name because i love <laughs> silence of the lambs it's one of my favorite movies of all time but jodie foster i thought was great and it's great to see her be in a movie again but hotel artemis i'm just gonna go straight up i will say i'm gonna give this a thumbs up not only for time purposes, but for the fact that I thought Hotel Artemis was a very fun film. Jodie Foster's definitely the MVP of this film, I think. I I thought, for me, it lacks a, a spark that really needed to really push it on to, to make it fly, to make it soar. Uh, about Sophia Batella, I'm slightly worried that she's become, or becoming, very typecast. But I like her as an actress, and again, I wouldn't miss her for one bit. But I'm just worried. I want to see her do something which doesn't involve her wearing little and just kicking people's asses left, right and centre because I think she could do a bit more than that but I liked her in this film. I Yeah, Jodie Foster was awesome. Jeff Goldblum's the king of cool and surprisingly Charlie Day's in this film and he managed to not annoy me which is saying something because I don't, I have a bit of a hate-hate relationship with Charlie Day in most <laughs> of his films. But me too, me too. It had a good cut. I thought the hotel itself looked good. I liked the premise but as it again, as it went on it was a story for that. that just didn't work for me, how it was executed, because I thought the cast did well. I liked the visual side of it, and I liked the premise, but there was something about it which just didn't click for me. So it is a an above average, but it's still a thumbs down from me. Okay. All right. So we have another disagreement. <laughs> that was July. I mean, for, for the first month down, we are... 50% on the, on the quality of the films and I mean disagreed with a few of them. This is July we're talking about here. I was I was I I will give my overall thoughts of this year when it comes to movies after we get through September, but I've got mm-hmm. some thoughts. But I'd say we still have a long ways to go. So let's move right on to Argus August, August, shall <laughs> we, Matt? Let's do it. All right. So in August, what do we have? What's up, what's our lineup so, for this month? 
our lineup for the month of August is The Happy Time Murders, The Equalizer 2, The Meg, The Spy Who Dumped Me, Christopher Robin, The Darkest Minds, Slender Man, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Black Klansman, and Searching. Now... Uh, starting right off here with a happy time murders, mm-hmm. Matt, I want to get your thoughts on this movie. <laughs> also known as the very, very adult and naughty Muppet movie. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He's like the sausage party for Muppets. I, oh, I really wanted, I really wanted to like this film. I went by myself on one evening to watch this, thinking, "Oh boy, I'm, you know this. This is going to be a packed-out cinema. I'm going to have. I'm going to have. I'm going to laugh my butt off, and I'm going to enjoy this." Turns out there's a few other people by themselves, and <laughs> and by the end of it, half of them had left. Which I, I, I'm seeing more and more in 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 films I'm watching that people just leave. I don't know if it's just an impatient uh, crowds we have over here, but if you're expecting to, to laugh out loud and gasp at the shock value. For, oh, for I was, you're going to be disappointed because this film is... Oh. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a creature it's, of its own kind. Yeah, it should have been so much fun. Muppets and humans working together, you know, without the boundaries of the kiddies Muppet films. It could have started something really good. And it's just... I, I hardly laughed at all in this film and I'm a big fan and advocate of Melissa McCarthy, but it's just boring at parts it's bad god thank god for that (laughs) thank god for that yeah um yeah this is a movie i had an interesting experience with the first time i went to see happy time murders i had a really good time watching it but Mm -hmm. i am i am smart enough to admit that i was probably under movie deja vu because after i saw i gave my review of it i was like oh yeah this movie's a casual watch you guys should go sit i had a good time watching it because i'd never i mean little known secret for everybody i had never seen sausage party so that kind of material lucky you i wasn't uh i wasn't aware of but seeing muppets be naughty I actually had a good time with because it was just something <laughs> new that I had never experienced in my uh, myself, like pretty much everybody else on the planet because I'm not that special. I'm not the only person <laughs> who's seen the Muppets, but the shock value and all that stuff, it worked for me the first time, except for the whole milking the cow gag. That thing oh. was the most awkward thing I, in my life. But <laughs> it went on for after, so long. After talking with uh, Zach and Griffin and some other buddies who are like, you need to go see this again because were you high when you went to see it? <laughs> and I'm like, no. So I paid the money to go see it again. Worst mistake I could have possibly made. The Happy Time Murders, <laughs> the initial value shock value of going to see Muppets be naughty is completely gone and the enjoyment there is destroyed I will say there is still one element of the movie that I really really like and that is Phil Phillips I I think I think his character he was the most fleshed out character of the entire film and his the way he was portrayed the fact that he was this burnt out Muppet detective I really liked the the dialogue that was written for him i really like i really like how the character was constructed across the board but besides phil phillips i'm giving this movie a big muppet shaped thumbs down if you guys want a great muppet movie watch 
literally any other Muppet movie out there. Watch Muppet. Watch the Muppets Christmas Carol. I mean, watch Muppets Take Manhattan. That's a classic. I agree with that. I also agree on Phil Phillips. I I like the voice, the guy who played him. I thought he brought something to. It. He see it felt he felt like he said the most fleshed out character, and he was a Muppet. I liked his story and his backstory. I like the music. I like the gag that uh, they kept um, alluding that Melissa McCarthy was a man the whole time. That made me laugh each time. But that was about it, really. And if you if you want a film of uh, two worlds colliding, just stick with Who Framed Roger Rabbit because that film's still the number one for me. But yeah, no, um, that one does it like no other. That film was great, and it's like thirty years old now. But I really wanted to like this film, but it it wasn't anything like I, I had a feeling it was either going to be very good or very bad. It's kind of it's not very bad. It's just it, but it teaches a lot. More to that, the the balance is tipped more that side. It is not a film I'm ever going to rush out to watch again. So, yep, I'm grabbing that Muppet hand and it's a thumbs down. Mm, too bad, too bad. Now, uh, oh yeah, now next. Uh, uh, something tells me we are going to have the same opinion of this darn next one. And the Equalizer Two. The Equalizer Two. Once again, another film in the in the summer. Towards the end of the summer of 2018, another film I was just meh okay with. And once again, it boils down to the main character, Denzel Washington yeah. as the equalizer. And the action scenes are without a doubt the best parts of the movie. Everything else, all the side plots, thumbs down. That's all I'm going to say. Denzel Washington and great action scenes cannot save a movie for me at this point. Like, I love Denzel and I love the action that is in the Equalizer films, but I, you know, you know what would make this better if the Equalizer met up with John Wick. That would make oh, it ten yeah. times better. But now, now you've made this film redundant. Now, Equalizer two, thumbs down for me. I, well, I was praying for one of those bullets to come off the screen and shoot me, just so I could have <laughs> something, just so I could feel something. It was so boring. It's, I like actually. I like the introductory scene uh, on the train. I thought that was a good setup. I liked it, but it just felt like it was trying too hard to be the Equalizer, which itself was only a moderately successful film. So what the hell are they doing making a second one? Denzel does what he does best, and that's being damn good at what he does. Denzel is almost always awesome. I don't think he's going to get a best actor nod for this film, <laughs> but I hope Probably he doesn't. Not. But. No, because there's a there's a bit in it where he bamboozles one of the bad guys by throwing some flour in front of a fan. Oh, yeah. and well, you know, if Suicide Squad could win an Oscar, oh, and it still dines out on that all over the Blu-ray covers, Oscar-winning film. But this was, it's, I just found it just as as an actual film. There's another one later on which is the same. It's just contrivance and cliche and convention after another. It's just naff, and it felt to me like it was a straight to DVD film. This, but. It. I would never recommend this film, even if it were, even if it has Denzel in it, kicking people left, right, and centre. I still can never recommend this film. No. But uh, yeah. So something tells me this is going to be a thumbs down for you as well, Matt. This is this is every. Uh, this is all of my family's thumbs down as well. <laughs> this is my entire family. It's like the <laughs> Godfather giving it a thumbs down. Yes, <laughs> bro. All right. So moving on. I think that we might have different opinions about this. I'm not sure, though. But that is Jason Statham. 
and The Meg. The Meg, is it a good movie? No. Is it a movie I had a ton of fun with? Oh, yeah. (laughs) The Meg came out at just the perfect time because it came out towards the end of the summer. And all I would, you know, all the big awesome action movies have come out. And then we're in that in-between period before the fall season and Oscar season starts. The Meg, for me, was exactly what it needed to be. It was a dumb action movie with a giant shark which the cgi on the meg that was amazing the way they make the shark look was incredible the movie and of course jason statham he's amazing he's the man's man he's the kind of guy every guy wants to be yeah i mean the meg though what you've heard it you've heard it here first the meg for me is a giant thumbs up i thought it was so much fun yeah i had so much fun with this Bloody awful film. Uh, it was I I I wanted to like it. I didn't, but I found ended up enjoying it. I also liked the fact that Jason Statham had about five different accents through this film. But yeah, it's it's a vehicle for him to get his top off and dive into the water, and all the women swoon over him. So Statham, he knows what he's doing here. But yeah, hell, it's a film about a what a fifty foot shark or something ridiculous like that who's been hiding in the deepest depths of the ocean. It's just a lot of fun. The Actually, the best actress in it, I liked uh, Lee Bingbing. I thought she was very good in it. But it's the y- y- young girl, uh, Sh- uh, Shuya Sophia Kai, I think her name was. She was sweet and funny. She was, but she, she must be, what, t- eight, ten years old? She was the best part. She had the best lines in the film. But I liked it. What I will say about this film is, I've said this before, but I don't bang the drum for death and gore and darkness and gritty because I'm not ten years old. But I think... <laughs> I think this film really could have actually benefited from having that R rate R rating just to ramp up that tension and those kind of Jaws esque stakes a bit more because it's it's twelve A rating. It's still got away with a few bits, but I think it could have done with having an R rating and just pushing the boundaries a little bit further. I think, but hell, I it's a monster shark film. As you said, was it a good film? No, no, <laughs> but it's a damn fun film it's it's if you want a good fun silly film just check out the meg because everyone you can tell jason statham has been waiting waiting for this film for years and he makes the most of it so he certainly i've got a funny feeling we're going to see a meg to the meg too because this film is crushing the box office yeah and for what it was made for if it follows the pattern of jaws the meg too i'm gonna want to throw in a dumpster and light it on (laughs) fire with gasoline (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I mean, hey, one of the worst films. you know the meg might be one of those movies that i get that i buy on blu-ray simply for the fact of watching it every summer because <laughs> i mean like it's like we said is the movie good no is it possibly the most fun i've had this summer up there with vision impossible fallout maybe i mean be. it's the Meg's stupid, it's dumb, it's a throwback to the 80s, and it's a fun, stupid shark movie. And that scene, I, the, the scene that's in the trade, that's actually on the poster. I I thought it looked great on the big, big screen. We've got the Meg, all 70-odd foot, underneath the waves in the shallow water with all those colourful um, inflatables in the water and the dinghies and all the like, hundreds of people in the water. I thought that looked great on the big screen. Oh, it absolutely did. Now, Matt... How about you introduce the next film? The next film is The Spy Who Dumped Me with Mila Kunis and Kate McKinnon. Yes, yes, and yes. It kind of filled a spot that belongs to that typical summer film. It's kind of pushed more towards the end of the film, end of the summer. 
and it's one of those films that should really be a bit rubbish. I actually quite enjoyed this film. I had hey. more fun than I thought I would. I that's awesome. It, yeah, I mean you've got you've got the spy who loved me, the spy who shagged me, and now you've got the spy who, who dumped me. me. So it's kind of a dirty romance <laughs> trilogy. But <laughs> I thought I like I love Kate McKinnon. I think she's fantastic. I know she's kind of my white love or hate for a lot of people, but I love Kate McKinnon. I think Mila Kunis is great. She's her kind of sweetheart character and vulnerable characters ever. And Kate McKinnon gets to riff and improvise a lot. I thought the action scenes were surprisingly quite good in this film. It does suffer from not quite knowing what, whether it wants to be a comedy or an action film. It sort of the two of them kind of mesh uh, in a strange way sometimes and it does obviously get a bit silly as it gets further on in the film but yeah. I really enjoyed this film actually. I didn't expect to. I thought it was going to be a throwaway film a bit like the Happy Time Murders where you want to enjoy it or you want to laugh but you don't but I found myself laughing for a majority of this film. Yeah, no, I... I completely agree with you. the the marketing The marketing for the spy who dumped me is terrible. Uh, I mean, yes. it was just flat out awful. I wasn't expecting anything from this movie, but I had a surprisingly good time with it. And Kate McKinnon and Mila Kunis is there a lot of highbrow humor in this movie? No, there is not. But I there is one particular line that Kate McKinnon says to somebody who is interested in dating me Kunis. It's my favorite line in the entire movie. And I would go about to say that it's a line that I want to use at some point in my life, (laughs) (laughs) but overall. Yeah. And one thing, the action scenes in this movie were surprisingly brutal for us for, for a spy comedy. Some of the, I mean, some of the decisions in the movie were terrible, but the best, part of the movie the the action scenes in this movie uh, the director of this film she needs to move on board and either direct a james bond or a mission impossible film the action scenes in here are great or heck you know her flavor of comedy that she has in here i wouldn't mind it if she went on to direct a guardians of the galaxy film i think there's a pre-spot I think that I think that her brand of comedy and I think all I think it would work with Guardians of the Galaxy. But overall, the spy who dumped me. I thought it was a very enjoyable film. Critics are bashing it. Yeah. But do I care? No, because no. I'm not most critics. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah you the action scene. There's, there's a action scene in a hotel, which is shot really well. And. It, it's with what I was mentioning about the tone. The tone of the comedy drops, and it does actually just become a straight up kind of action film at that particular point. But then it obviously goes back into its comedy. But I, for the most part, it worked well the comedy and the action together. Um, Susanna Fogel was the director. Yep. When you were saying that, I was just thinking if Matthew Vaughan ever decided to jump off Kingsman, would he be a good fit, or is that too much of a spoof? Do you spoof kind of genre? Do you think? No, honestly, the spy who dumped me, it did give me some kind of flavor of Kingsman. I if she was brought on board, I I would love to see an interpretation of a Kingsman film if she was brought on to direct. I mean, any spot at this point, I would say I would love for Susanna Fogel to pretty much do any kind of spy film outside of what she's done with the spy who dumped me. And I would go on to say that if she made a sequel to the spy who dumped me, but changed it a different title 
with with the stuff that goes on at the end of the film i would i I, honestly what it comes down to is i i can't wait to see what she does next because the action scenes alone and the comedy in this film they got me they hooked me to see what she's going to do next yeah it never got some of the jokes were that that were recurring never got old or stale which worked i think she also wrote this film as well so yeah you know there's another props to that as well but surprisingly for what i initially thought based on that bloody awful marketing i had a great time and yeah absolutely uh, thumbs up for this film from me all right yeah and for me it's also a big thumbs up and the next film we're gonna talk about it's a bit emotional for me. Oh, I'm so interested to see what you thought about this film. I thought it sucked. No, okay. <laughs> I, I, I am flat out joking. The next film we're talking about is Christopher Robin. I loved this movie. I freaking loved this movie. <laughs> to put it how much I loved it. First of all, Ewan McGregor. We all love Ewan McGregor as yes. an actor. The fact that all the original voice, pretty much all the original voice cast of the our beloved friends in the 100 Acre Wood are back, it's phenomenal. And there are two particular scenes in this movie where two scenes involving Pooh Bear and and, and Christopher balloon? Robin and a balloon. I uh, I sobbed like a baby i flat out <laughs> cried man don't blame me because i i mean there are two scenes where christopher robin and winnie the pooh are sitting on a log that's all i'm gonna say it because those two scenes are worth seeing without anyone interrupting or ruining them for you because they're just so they're just so pure and good and christopher robin is in my opinion in the same vein of paddington it's in the same vein of of won't you be my neighbor to where it just it just shows you that there's a lot more light and positivity in the world than than many people like to think there is and christopher robin is it's a very special movie it really is so for me i'm gonna give it a thumbs up i loved you mcgregor in this film and again he's usually good even if a film is bad this isn't a bad film by the way but i mean anything with winnie the pooh in it is gonna have that lo- awesome, lovely, nostalgic feel, uh, and it takes you back to your childhood. And this did exactly the same. You've got the, you've got the old gang back. You've got the voice actors back. It they sound like I remember. You've got the Winnie the Pooh theme, the classic theme, sort of weaved into the score at some points, and it really just does make you feel like a kid again. I I enjoyed this film. I preferred it when it was the, the gang when it's Winnie the Pooh and his friends. I preferred those scenes more to the other scenes in the film. I wasn't sold on the ending of this film, though. I thought it became too saturated, a bit too sickly for me. But <laughs> I did like everything to do with Winnie the Pooh, everything to do with the Hundred Acre Woods. Anything with Christopher Robin and any of the gang in were fantastic. Uh, yeah, there's a moment with Winnie the Pooh standing there for Red Balloon, which almost made this man uh, lose it in the cinema, but I managed to keep it together. Um, <laughs> I've got to say that, but I, they, I was a, even now it makes me sad <laughs> just thinking about it's it. Okay. But like, I mean, we, like uh, your emotions out. That's what the theater is there for. 
once this once this uh, episode's finished, I'm gonna let myself go completely. <laughs> you're just yeah. gonna wrap up and you're gonna start crying. I'm gonna rock and it's gonna rock in the corner. And if anyone asks what's wrong with me, I'm gonna t- slam the door on them. <laughs> but I, you had we had good goodbye Christopher Robin last year, which dealt with Christopher Robin as a boy and his transition uh, into becoming a man. And this one is he's a fully fledged family man in his what forties maybe. And it kind of deals with his life going forward and reconnecting with his childhood. So I like that angle of it. Um, yeah, I liked the majority of this film. I, I'm not going to lie. I, I, it wasn't as, I wasn't as awestruck as I wanted to be. But I still thought this was a very good film. But and absolutely, I'm going to give it a thumbs up. Alrighty. Now, Matt. Yes. Would you like to introduce the next one? Uh, to be honest, for the next couple, I'd rather just—I'd rather put in that dumpster fire. <laughs> your and Cody's dumpster fire. But the next film is *The Darkest Minds*. The darkest. Uh, yeah, I haven't read the source material, so I don't know how how accurate the film is to the source material. But I, either way, it's crap. I've got a name for it, but uh, it's not <laughs> as kind as the titles. It is right now. <laughs> is, is it PG thirteen or is it R rated? <laughs> I don't know. It—it's probably R rated. Yeah, I I'm think not, it would be. I'm not going to say it right now because we're doing a podcast. Maybe if I'll say I could get away with it, I would. But this is called The Darkest Minds, but it's so wet and so boring. And you've got these kids using the force, essentially, <laughs> It, which is fine to use that sort of telekinesis power. But these kids are invincible. I didn't like the cast. I thought... um. Uh, what is his name? The the main uh, main uh, boy, uh, Southern Dickinson. I thought he was good. Amanda Stenberg. I just didn't think she had the charisma here to pull off a lead role. Teen romance. Having, yeah, that that bit was actually I had no problem with teen romance, and I've got no issue with young adult films because half most of the time they're better than their more mature films. But I want I wanted more of the um, kind of not political angle, but that sort of more serious angle and the more of the ramifications of what was going on rather than the the teen romance, but maybe this film also wasn't marketed for me. But having Gwendolyn Christie and Mandy Moore's names on a poster is a massive. <laughs> I, th- I think that's I mean, taking it slightly too far. But I, uh, in, in a nutshell, I hated this film. Yeah, yeah, you and I are in agreement. And as we've all seen, putting big names on the posters does get people's butts in seats. Doesn't make the movie good. Let's take a film like um, New Year's. Or whatever, it's that, I can't fully remember the name of that. It's that New Year's Eve movie that has... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's that one. Let's, Sarah Jessica Parker, that one, is it? has pretty much every single actor in it. It has Zac Efron, it has Andrew Lincoln, it has... Jessica Biel. It has Robert De Niro. Still not very good. Halle Berry. The Darkest Minds is crap. I <laughs> I hated this movie. Like, there is no redeeming quality to this movie for me. Like, none so at all. Glad. I probably had a little bit more positives back when I first saw it. But the fact of the matter is, I, I just hate this movie. And I'm just, <laughs> I'm kind of sick and tired of the whole tween romance stuff. Like, I, I wish that adult adaptations, I wish they would stop doing these stories that are easy to do because it's a way to make a quick buck. Is, does this, could this story be cool? Yeah, it could have been cool. Yeah. But the fact of the matter is, they destroyed it. And I mean, the source material might be cool. I mean, 
I think that kind of sums up the. I think I've got I've got flack online for saying how much I hate this film. So there's which to me says there is a fan base for the source material, but I mean it's it certainly isn't. I mean the Hunger Games came out years ago, and this could have come out a couple of years ago, and maybe even you know coattailed on that film success. But it's too it's too late, I think, and it just wasn't well done. It just to me it was like the 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 director just gave up part way through we just kind of thought well i've started so i've got to finish oh you um, just wait because i hated the darkest minds and i'm giving it a thumbs down but same here this time cody's I think uh this is cody's crazy corners about to be unleashed oh you are absolutely right matt i can hear it bubbling away i can hear the boiling inside of me as we go into our next film Let's talk about the piece of crap movie that is Slender Man. Jesus, yeah. You first. <laughs> oh, boy. Now, let me get right up front. This is not my least favorite film of the year. It's my second <gasps> least favorite film of the year. There's another one that it doesn't look like we actually have on our lists here. But Mile 22 essentially is my least favorite film of the year. That, I haven't seen it, and I agree with that. Slenderman, though, Slenderman is, it's, it's. <laughs> I can't forgive <laughs> how bad this movie is. Like, number one, first of all, horror cliches from top to bottom. Do I like yep. the whole urban legend of Slenderman? Yeah, and I thought the way they went into it in the film. I like the way they dived into Slenderman through talking about the urban legend in this film because urban legends when it comes to horror type stuff is always really interesting to me. But everything else, the cinematography feels like it was done by a student. The acting is horrendous which is funny because the main girl i'm pretty sure was also in wish upon earlier this year she was she was <sighs> that girl just cannot catch a break i feel so bad for her but <laughs> slender man slender man looked like garbage let's face it the creature slender man he looked like something fr- from from I-, I hated slender man and this movie needs to burn in a fire and this movie needs to this movie needs to this movie just should have been better and I realized I could go on some crazy rant like I did with Solo last time. But the fact of the matter is, this film, I was never shocked that it was as bad as it was. But I was also extremely disappointed. Because Slenderman is a movie that even though the marketing looked horrendous and it looked – it is this year's Bye Bye Man for sure. But I always thought it had the possibility of not being so. I always thought that Slender Man had the possibility of actually being a good film, but or at least an enjoyable one. But that's the end of Cody Cra- Cody's Crazy Corner, and everyone in my ancestry and everyone who knows me is giving this film a thumbs down. I think the entire world has given us a th- This is the worst film of the year for me. This is worse than Winchester. This is worse than Truth or Dare. Two films proved to spoken about ad nauseum yeah this is worse this is the worst horror film i think of the last 10 years i've seen the only good thing like you mentioned is the concept the idea of it worse in the last it, 10 years i gotta think about that because for me i think for partly mainly because the worst horror film mainly because it, like everything you just mentioned it it feels unfinished and i know that they took out a lot of scenes and apparently this is clearly just something to help sell the film but apparently if those films or scenes were in the film 
Apparently, it makes it a much better film, blah, blah, blah. Silent Hill Revelation. You're honestly going oh. to say that this film is better than Silent Hill Revelation. Uh, I don't think so. Like, I will say that it's probably just as bad as Silent Hill Revelation. I won't say that it is it's worse, though. I'm going to... If it's on a par, the only reason I might put it as the worst is because Silent Hill was a sequel and I didn't mind the first Silent Hill too much. But this is this had the potential. I mean, they've already done the Silent Hill film. This could have been good. And again, it has the controversy of obviously the real life tragedies that occurred because of it. So they, I know this, the studio was well, scared basically by it. But there's a scene in this, why the theatre, I won't mention it. You may remember what it is, but two kids are getting it on basically. And my theatre just erupted in laughter at what yep. happened next. Yep. Yep. If it is the worst scene I've ever done. Joey King, who's the lead actress, she was in yeah, Wish Upon Independence Day Resurgence. She cannot I really want to like her, but everything she's in that I'm seeing is horrendous. But yeah, back to the film where there's no tension, no atmosphere. One of the girls has a picture of herself as her laptop background. The Bible Who does that? Man. It's just oh, I don't know what to say. I was I was, I don't, when when I'm watching a film and there's people laughing and, you know, take, and, and talking during it, I'm usually the one to sit there thinking, shut up, shut up, shut up. But with this film, I have just thought, please, guys, go ahead, because this film is the worst thing I've seen in such a long time. And I don't care if it was edited because it was, because the studio got cold feet. The fact is, the finished product, which is what we were given, which they sold to the world, is horrendous. And how they even let this get a release theatrically is I've no idea. Should it have been a oh, I don't know. Should it have been released? No, not in this format. I think if it was gonna be edited out, they should have just taken it out, scrapped it, and then maybe gone back to it in a few years' time because nothing about this this it's just draining to watch it because visually mm-hmm. everything is grey. And then it's overly edited because when the Slender Man turns up, you can't see because it's so quickly sh- cut and the pacing of those scenes is awful. Yeah. There's nothing about it at all. And then they throw in the ubiquitous sort of, oh, we did a Twitter poll and all this kind of buzzwords to, to make it sound more hip. And everybody knows everybody's password because they're all getting onto each other's laptop. It's just the worst film I've seen in a long time. If something comes out this year which is worse than this, I... I, I, I would watch Hereditary a hundred times more than <laughs> if, if I heard it. If something comes out this year that's worse than this, then I'll do whatever. De- I'll watch Truth or Dare and Winchester back to back because this is and Slender Man again. It's bad. This is it's bad. awful. It's really awful. Hello, yeah, Matthew. Uh, would you <laughs> like a balloon? I, yeah, yes. I could pop it in my ears Ooh. so I could just, just don't have to listen to this. <laughs> Slender Man crap. I'm going to go and wake my daughter up so she can put her thumbs down. <laughs> I'm like. going to get my dog to put all of her paws down. <laughs> yeah. I think okay. it's clear to say that Slender Man is one of the, if not the worst film of the year for both of us. Yeah, I would say so. Luckily, I think the last three films, I think we are going to agree on, on where our position is on them. When it comes to either so. being thumbs up or thumbs down, which thank goodness. Next up is a great, is a fun movie. I wouldn't say it's a great one, but I Ant-Man and the Wasp is what we're talking about next. The next film within the Marvel Cinematic Universe or the MCU, if you're so inclined. And overall, I didn't think this film was one of the best MCU movies. I didn't think it was one of the worst. I thought it did hit that middle point 
very well. But then again, most films in the MCU are very, very good. And I thought Ant-Man and the Wasp did its job well. I thought it was a fun, enjoyable summer movie. I got a lot of laughs in the relationship between Paul Rudd and his daughter in the film. I thought that was very, very heartwarming. And those were actually the best parts of the movie for me. Yeah, and it's come, let's not forget, it's come after straight after Infinity War and if you haven't seen the film, why not? But everybody knows what happens in that film. This was a kind of welcome relief from such a heavy, a big, heavy, epic film like Infinity War. That Man and the Wasp felt light and breezy comparison. It still had stakes. Hannah John Kamen as Ghost, I thought she was wonderful. I yeah. love that woman. I thought she was great. Paul Rudd is so good. And Evangeline Lilly was great as well. Walter Goggins the, was wasted. Oh man, Walter Goggins, he's just like stock criminal, like villain, like number two or whatever. He's <laughs> not good in this film. No, it's not, it's not good in this film. What he's given is, he's just undercooked basically. He's just got Tomb Raider syndrome. He's just turned into that silly cardboard cutout villain. Yeah, it's a shame. Yeah. It, it, it's poorly written. It is. It's a shame. And I love Walter Goggins. I mean, the first film I ever saw him in was The Hateful Eight. Oh. And I thought his performance in that was brilliant. And as far as Tomb Raider is concerned, I thoroughly enjoyed him in Tomb Raider. As far as the villain that he was going for in Tomb Raider, was the was the work that he was given not that great? Yeah, but I thought as far as that film was co- concerned, he did a good job. With Ant-Man and the Wasp, I mean, literally, he could have been taken out of the movie and the movie would not have been any different. <laughs> it's, it's true, and that's never a good sign. Yeah, absolutely. But I think that's really my overall biggest problem with the movie, uh, except for the fact that it didn't exactly feel incredibly special. It didn't feel like the first Ant-Man film to me. It didn't feel like Iron Man. But you're right. Having come off the back of Infinity War with everything being just so dark and heavy, (laughs) Ant-Man and the Wasp, it did exactly what it needed to. It provided a fun summer adventure for everybody. Yeah, and I had Michael Douglas in it, which is always a good thing. And the Michelle Pfeiffer, the two of those, the old veterans were very good in this film. Michael Peña and Randall Park had the best laughs, I think, in this film. It was a, a truth serum scene, which had me in stitches oh, yeah. in this film. But yeah, I liked, I liked that. Again, yeah, like you say, it's just, it's not the best MCU film, but when a lot of their films are very good, when they get a film like this, which is just, you know, good, good, it people look at it and think, oh, it's not that great. It's it's a good film. It's it's very colourful. It's fun. The action's good. It it's got Paul Rudd in it, and he never ages. Yeah, just, <laughs> just like just Tom a Cruise. Good film. Just just like Tom Cruise and his teeth. It's a really good fun. It's a good fun film. It's a good palate cleanser for Infinity War. It's probably not one you're going to rush back to see in the canon of the MCU. Not because it's bad, but because there are other films that may be more vital. But there are so had a good... many choices. <laughs> Exactly, and the stinger at the end was uh, watch that though, check that bit out. Yeah, absolutely. So, thumbs up from me. Yep, thumbs up for me too. And this next film, speaking of things that are dark and heavy. Wow. Yes. Go ahead Black and tell them about Klansman. it. Black Yep. There we go. Spike Lee's back, and Cuffy Rear's kids. He's pissed off. Spike Lee has got something to say. Uh, it's a uh, it's a true based on a true story. Which uh, I didn't realise until obviously seen. I hadn't, I hadn't heard. I wasn't aware of the true story because I mean, how many other ones are probably out there with similar beats to this? But Black Klansman, man, it's a oh, it's, this is such a now film. This it's film so good. I it's set in the seventies, man, but it belongs 
Now it's so relevant to today. It absolutely yeah. is. And the uh, Adam Driver is fantastic in this film. Uh, Denzel Washington's son is brilliant. Laura Harry is great. The the chemistry between them is all is fantastic. Oh my goodness! You know what? That's something. I, Grace is good. This is something I didn't realize is the fact that both Denzel Washington and John David Washington had yep. films that came out this year. And John David and John David Watson Washington, in my opinion, not only gave a better performance, he was in a better overall movie. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like Obi Wan and Anakin. He he was once the master, and now the apprentice has taken over. But I thought it was a fantastic film. I thought the writing was fantastic. Yeah. I was drawn in. It has its fun moments, but they don't get in the way of the story. And Spike Lee, when he has a story to tell. He can really get you the ending of this film, like the uh, the ending of this film, which isn't a spoiler. I'm not going to say nothing, but it's an absolute gut punch. It's sickening and it's saddening to watch. But we all know that the KKK are just a bunch of idiots. They're a bunch <laughs> of losers. If you don't like that, I don't care. But they're idiots. <laughs> if you don't like that, I don't yeah. But exactly. But when you see them in their gowns for the first time, you're going to put your hairs on your neck. It's chilling to watch. But I thought it was a great story. Great bit of buddy cop the two act the actors work well together it's relevant it's sharp it's timely and it's one of the it's in my top three of the year i believe top three or four of the year this is yeah it's um i gotta think about it it's in my top 10 definitely not on first viewing i haven't gone back to see it again because this is one of those movies that i don't elect to go see again but yep. I, it is in my top 10 of this year and the message, it's powerful. It is timely. And the movie, although there isn't a lot of it, there is, there are some laughs in, in the film. And when they, when those, la- when they go for the laughs, they, uh, they hit and they are perfect. There is one particular scene with, uh, John David Washington, portraying ron stalward is talking to <laughs> david duke over the phone that's all i'm gonna say but for me that was definitely the funniest part of the movie <laughs> not only because it was very well written but simply because of what it meant uh there's that i will say though out of everybody in the film i think john david washington you know everybody was great in the film but if there was one standout for me it was, uh, I believe the actor's name is Jasper Pakonin. He's uh, yes, he's from Finland, and his performance looks angry. His performance was just so utterly disturbing that it reminded me of what Michael Fassbender did with Twelve Years a Slave. It was, but in modern That's a day, great comparison. But in modern day, Jasper Pakonin, in my opinion, he is the. Out of any everyone that we've had this year, he is one of the breakout performances of this year. And I mean, it's his it's his first big American production as far as being an actor in an American film. And he just blew me away. His performances. It's insane. It's insane just how in depth that he was. And the scary part is, is not just the fact that this is a story about the KKK. It's the fact that. This is a story about people where you could literally look to the person next to you and wouldn't know that they were part of this horrific group of individuals. And the way Spike Lee brought it together was just so expertly handled. I can't say that I'm the biggest fan of the ending of Black Klansman, which is probably why it's not 
higher up on my list because I don't like it when filmmakers bring their overall biases into filmmaking. But I can, I can under- see that. Yeah. I-, I can understand why Spike Lee was doing it. And I mean, I don't think that the I'm not saying that the last part of it wasn't effective. I do think it was effective, but I also think that Spike Lee gave that message from the beginning to the end of the film before what happens during the credits. I think that he kind of gave his message during that point. But overall, Black Klansman, it is absolutely, without a doubt, one of the best films of this entire year. And it's great. It's, I mean, it's, it's phenomenal. What can I say? It's great. Thumbs up from me. I agree about the end of the film. It didn't need to be there, but I can tell you the, the theatre I watched it with was just dead silent watching it. I don't know if it's just disbelief, uh, you know, uh, unable to comprehend what we were, what, what was happening, but it's the world we live in, we've got to have to comprehend it. I think the scariest part of the film is, you mentioned Jasper Pepper but... Nobody's talking about him. I, I obviously quite rightly you hear about John David Washington, Adam Driver, uh, kind of about Laura Harrier as well. I thought she was very good in the film. Yeah. But nobody. I haven't really seen anyone really kind of talking about Jasper Conan. Yeah. That is as one of the standouts. He's just kind of there on the cast list for a lot of people. But yeah, yeah he felt very real. Yeah, he certainly did. And uh, yeah, once again, just a. A, a big thumbs up, not just because of how entertaining of a movie it is, but just because of how important the film is. Yeah, I uh, second that. Big thumbs up. Uh, it ticked all the boxes for me, so and I'm glad it did. I'm glad it's out there now. Speaking of one of the best films of the entire year, let's it's coming from the guy who was uh, Milfman number two in American Pie John Cho <laughs> searching and he certainly isn't uh, Milfport Man anymore searching uh, from the guys behind the Unfriended series funny enough and if you didn't like the way Unfriended was shot you're not going to like this film but into, if, if you like a good story a compelling story a mystery thriller then this will that story is going to rope you right back in because from the devastating opening montage of this film all the way through the end to, all the way through to the end this film is just marvellous. It's another one of those films where people walked out of when I was watching it because I don't think they expected it to be presented in the way that it was. Again, similar to Unfriended. And I I more fool them because they missed a bloody good film. Yeah. Searching is... It's in my top five of this year. It's incredible. I loved Searching so much. Thumbs up once again. <laughs> Yeah, it's in my it's certainly in my top twenty, and only because there's been so many good films this year. But that's going to go up and down, up and down before the end of the year. But I was worried about this film because I'd heard a hell of a lot of hype about it, about how fantastic it was, and I try not to listen to the hype because I think it can cloud your thoughts on a film. But I went into it expecting it to be fantastic, and I wasn't disappointed. John Cho is just he just gets better and better. He was in Columbus, I think, last year. He's fantastic in that. He's brilliant in this how this story unfolds the first half is purposely slower and more pondering and more contemplative and the second half kind of really kicks into into gear but if you're if you're looking for a you know a thrilling thriller a scary thriller that's gonna have your pulse racing all the way through this isn't that film but doesn't it didn't need to be it wasn't that kind of film it works on the central performance and the relationship with john cho and his daughter 
and it really does pull on the old heartstrings. It doesn't even have to be a parent to, for it to be emotional. But this is how it dealt with the themes of the modern world as well, the use of social media and how quickly people will jump on a bandwagon, which winds me up no end when I see it. That was done so well in this film. And yeah, John Cho's fantastic. Well, I was glad to say that this film lived up to the hype for me and I thought it was fabulous. Really a very nice twist on the thriller genre. So yeah, big thumbs up for me. Yeah, same here. The fact of the matter is this, is that when it comes to John Cho, I loved his performance in here. I think I've already established I love this movie since it's in my top five of the year. <laughs> but but uh, for, for me, for me, I would say that this film, as as far as a filmmaking standpoint, I would say it's a combination of prisoners from Denis Villeneuve and Unfriended. The Unfriended part, yeah, yeah. the Unfriended part simply because of how it was filmed, which is they set out to make this thing look low budget, even though they had an entire team. They probably spent a couple million dollars to make it. And uh, it's great. It, it's just phenomenal across the board. Giant thumbs up. Yep, I, I'm glad to say we both like this film. So, so for August, as it stands, we, myself and Cody, just about, it's about 60-40 on what we did like, what we didn't like. And going through the list, we actually agreed and on everything, whether we liked it or not. So... Whereas July was a bit more mixed. August, we were on the same level for everything. So uh, let's go forward for September. What do we have in store? All right. A lot of very simple titer, titers. We have <laughs> a lot of simple titles. As you can see, guys, I'm getting tired. But <laughs> I'm going to push through this. We have The Nun, The Predator, A Simple Favor, White Boy Rick, Crazy Rich Asians, the Little Stranger, American Animals, Mandy, Peppermint, and the house with a clock in its walls. Now, let's talk about The Nun. So, The Nun, next film in the Conjuring universe. Yes, those films are box office gold, by the way. Now, That's all I'll say. Isn't it a shame that this is another one of those things where I'm pretty much, I'm pretty sure I had cinema illusion the first time i saw it because the first time i saw the nun i enjoyed it for what it was i enjoyed the haunted house movie that it was yeah seeing it a second time i despise this movie so much like i hate it and it's because everything that we had been built up to in the previous conjuring films like i i enjoyed the way it tied into the rest of the conjuring films at the end but other than that it just felt like it was deconstructing everything that had come before and the plot didn't make any sense to me. I enjoyed the practical effects aspect of it. I love the, yeah. the fact that they used practical sex and sets and practical makeup. And, and there was just a lot of physical aspects of this film that I thoroughly enjoyed. Because whenever filmmakers can get away from using CGI and be more into the physical world of filmmaking, I I always think that's a plus. But overall, The Nun was just... This it was a big disappointment for me, and this is coming from somebody who will defend the Conjuring franchise to the nth degree. Because if there's a if there's two, a cinematic universe besides the Marvel one that I think works, I think the Conjuring franchise has been a cinematic universe that has actually successfully done what it needs to do, unlike what DC has done. 
Yeah, DC's just a horror show, and it's not even meant to be. Um, but yeah, the cut. You mentioned the CGI. That's what I disliked about the Conjuring Two was the fact that they went too heavy on some of the CGI aspects. But whereas the Conjuring and other films were practical, and that's what made it a Conjuring terrifying. Um, yeah, for me, it's a me. I love the Conjuring universe. I'll always go back to it, even though I think it's a bit of a mixed bag. I love the Conjuring and Annabelle creation. I was a big fan of Conjuring Two or the first Annabelle. But as for the nun, it kind of fell in the middle for me. I didn't hate it. I don't think it was particularly great, though. I, it certainly wasn't the darkest chapter that it was um, billed as. I liked the the setting. I thought the setting such a classic setting for a horror film, like the old de- decrepit monastery. I liked the use of nuns and the religious iconography. What I didn't like was just some of the... I didn't feel it was original enough I thought they reused a lot of scares you could see certain things coming from a mile off and I know lots of horror films suffer from that but oh, it's I, I was expecting something more yeah I don't know if that's just because of my mm. loyalty to this franchise even though I'm willing to admit that in a minute it's kind of 50 50 in terms of the films I actually really enjoy but I wanted more but there are some there are some good parts of this film uh, I liked uh, Tessa Farmiga who looks a spitting image of her big sister, and if there's no tie in there to uh, Lorraine Warren, then that's a funny bit of casting. But I thought she was good in it. I thought uh, Damien Bashir was actually quite strong, and Bonnie Aaron's is creepy as hell as the nun. But I don't know. I thought I thought it looked very good. It parts of it were effective, but yeah. Then there was other parts like the ending was just overblown and got a bit very silly. And it ruined the proper horror moments that came before. Like, I don't know, to me, it felt more like a standalone film than real connective tissue. And I liked the, I liked the nods of connections to the wider universe. But I mean, what we're getting next? We're getting The Conjuring Three. We're getting an Annabelle Three. We're getting a Crooked Man film. So this, they're never gonna. This franchise isn't slowing down. So I don't think no. the lukewarm reactions to the Nun are going to stop them. But I wanted to enjoy it more than I did. I didn't hate it. It's just kind of uh, you know somewhere in the middle for me. Yeah. Honestly, when it comes down to it, I think I'm going to look – I look at the the Conjuring universe like I look at the MCU. Is the MCU a better overall franchise? Yeah, of course it is. I mean almost every film in it is great. The Conjuring universe, it's one of those things where unless they keep releasing a continuous string of horrible movies. Like if mm-hmm. we continue getting stuff like Annabelle or The Nun, I'll probably eventually – stop watching it but as of right now i mean my love and loyalty for the conjuring franchise isn't wavering i mean i love the first two conjuring films i love annabelle creation but yeah honestly i still can't wait to see what they come up with next so even though i love the conjuring franchise i'm still gonna have to unfortunately say i'm giving this a thumbs down yeah, I'm going to be first in line for those next films because I that that first film still is a terrifyingly good film. But I'm going to I'm going to buck the trend and I'm going to say I would recommend this partly because of its you know links to the franchise, but also because I didn't hate it. And this is a kind of ten o'clock in the evening horror film on a on a Thursday night, for example, and you can just put it on and watch it and you're not going to get too scared because you've got to get up for work the next day. But <laughs> it's entertaining and it has its moments. So it's, for me, it's a, it's a thumbs up. It's just. Yeah, it certainly does have its moments. Now this next film. 
Yeah. Directed by Shane Black. Disappointingly so, I might add. <laughs> Shane that Black, director of Kiss Kiss Bang Bang and The Nice Guys. Also, after seeing The Nice Guys, one of my favorite directors until I saw this movie. Because I hated The Predator. I was going to guess that I was going to come. I hated The Predator from beginning oh, to oh, end. Oh. The story, the performances, everything was just such a shame. And it's so obvious to tell what studio interference was actually happening with this movie because this yes. this movie was this movie was not a Shane Black film. It just wasn't. The best part of this movie for me is Keegan Michael Key. And that's simply because he's gold in whatever you put him in. Even if it's a terrible movie, Keegan Michael Key will always find a way to be amazing. And he is in this movie. But that's about the sum of it. Uh, it's just the super predator they introduced. I thought that was a dumb plot point that they've used in a really terrible movie before, a.k.a. Alien versus Predator. Mm. Thanks for bringing that up. Yeah, of course. No problem. So for me, it's a thumbs down. Every thumbs down for me by the sounds of it. I put in my review that this film was a pretty much a bastardization of uh, the other films, the other five films in the loosely unconnected franchise that is the Predator world. But when four of those films weren't really very good, that kind of sums this film up. The Predator, sorry, sorry Predator, the Arnie film, good good film, I liked it. The rest of them, not great. Predators with um, Adrian Brody, I thought that was quite good. Not, not, not incredible or amazing, but I thought it was quite good. I thought it had the tone of the first film quite nicely. This film, though. Yeah. Ooh, yeah, I, I'm not as scathing as you are on this because the 25% of the film I liked was basically just a predator tearing fools up left, right and center. That was, I, I went to see the predator just unleashed, you know, pred hell. I didn't mind the super predator simply because I thought he looked cool and he got to tear stuff up. The predator dogs, ugh. <laughs> well, that's enough about them, but I don't know. He, it wasn't. It didn't feel like a Predator film to me. It didn't feel like a Shane Black film at all. But it didn't feel like a Predator film. But it felt more like those Alien versus Predator films than a Predator film, which is what I wanted. I was told by Shane Black, not personally, but via the marketing and all the interviews, that this was going to be a darker, scarier, sort of almost a horror aspect to it. And it's not. I don't know what cut he was talking about or what film he was talking about. But there was. I mean, even the writing. You've got some really you've got. Some of the, I mean, one of the guys has got Tourette's, and he, most of there's a really bad sequence in it. They they go they're going back and forward between uh, Olivia Munn and this guy, and it's painfully unfunny. And I'm thinking, Jesus Christ, please stop this and carry it on. <laughs> but, I don't know if you're here for if you want blood and guts, you're going to get some. But if you want a decent predator film, what does a decent action film? You're not going to get it here, and the and the cross they they're they're clutching its jaws with the ending of this. I mean, film. heck, you want a movie like The Meg? You're not even going to get it here. <laughs> no, you're not. There are those films which you could enjoy, which are patently bad, or there. I mean, there's those films which you can tell are bad, and you don't really get any enjoyment out of it. And I really wanted some enjoyment, and the only enjoyment I got was yeah, when the predator was just killing people left, right, and centre. I didn't like. I thought Jacob Tremblay's character was terrible in this film, and I think he's a wonderful actor, but. His Deus Ex Machina of a character was bad. I like Shavonto Rhodes. It's a massive step down from Moonlight, but I thought he was good. Boyd Holbrook was okay. I mean, he's not Arnie. Neither was Adrian Brody, and he was okay. But I think I think the franchise just needs Arnold Schwarzenegger because every film without him is awful. 
But I don't know. Yeah, they're not, they're not going to get a sequel for this film, however much they want to pretend they are. Yeah, if they do, no, then it's not I will happen. fly to Maine and eat Cody's hat because that's not happening. Yeah, if I wore hats, <laughs> wear a hat so I can eat it. If uh, they make okay. a sequel. <laughs> so yeah, thumbs down, which is a sh- massive shame. Yeah, it is, especially since the film was made by somebody who was in the original Predator. Yeah, exactly. One of the cast members, and Arnold Schwarzenegger turned this down. He said because he didn't want to kind of have a little cameo role, but probably probably read, he probably read the script. Probably for the best. Yeah, if there was a alternate version which is better, we're probably never ever going to hear about it. But that's just sad, saddening to hear because I really, really, really thought this was going to be a decent action film. But alas, hopefully the next film will be better, hey? The next film on the list. Oh, yeah. Well, in my opinion, it is better. A hundred times better. In fact, <laughs> this is one of my this is one of my favorite movies of the year, actually. It's in my top ten list. And that is A Simple Favor starring Anna Kendrick and Blake Lively. First of all, is the ending going to make or break the experience for people? Yes, it is. Mm-hmm. The ending completely switches the tone 180 degrees <laughs> the, t- <laughs> yeah. the tone of the ending is just so bad it's it's really bad i'm not gonna lie although that did not deter my experience both times that i went to see it one thing i'll say that makes this movie great though is the amount of mystery that the film had the mystery that yep. this film sets up is it's not as good as but i found this film kind of similar to Gone Girl. And in that vein, Blake Lively, this is the first film where I come out of the movie theater and I was like, she has the possibility of being an Oscar caliber actress. Wow. She, I mean, her performance in this film blew me away. It's the best performance she's ever given. And Anna Kendrick, I mean, Anna Kendrick isn't doing anything new. She was good. She was great even. But this film, A Simple Favor, is one of the my personal favorite movies of the year simply because of just how well-established it was. The marketing, the marketing, unlike a lot of other things this year, I thought was great. And knowing that it seems as though Paul Feig, he definitely took inspiration from French filmmaking. At least that's what it feels like. A Simple Favor is a big thumbs up for me. <laughs> I would never have guessed that. I mean, I watched this film and I thought it was awful. Wait, really? No, I thought it was brilliant. I, <laughs> I like to get, I like to do that once an episode, and it worked every time. I, uh, I, yeah, I thought this film was so much fun. I liked Kendrick and Lively together. Blake Lively was again the MVP, only because I didn't realise she had it in her. She's always, she's always done well with what she's done, but you know, in this film she has to play. Uh, Basically, a god almost, like a just like people that a a powerful, strong, attractive woman who's fawned over and has no um, fallacies. But I think she does it so very well, and never neither of them come off as parody characters, even though the film is quite satirical in the way it's written. But I thought this was bloody good. The, like I said a mystery, how it twists and turns because it does twist and turn throughout the film. I couldn't keep up with it. In a good way. I couldn't tell where it was going. and I like to try and work it out like everybody does. But I couldn't unravel where we were going with it. The ending of the film. Like the very ending of the film was. I yeah, I, It didn't ruin the film or derail it totally for me. But I did, it did you know, knock half a, mark, half a mark off just for that. Had they 
gone for something a little bit simpler, it would have you know elevated it into that top ten for me. It's in my top twenty of the year so far. Um, but no, I've, I loved it. It's got some really cool Hitchcockian techniques to it. The writing worked. The and it was really just that finale. So yeah, if you like noir films or mystery, it does have some comedy in it, and that's mainly just from the it's it's spoken gags rather than kind of laugh out loud gags. It's just weaved in just nicely. But I thought this was smart. I thought it was sexy. I thought it was an awful lot of fun. Uh, and I would happily watch this again. Uh, and I'm very glad that you enjoyed it as well. Yeah. I mean, I, if you guys can't tell, I think it's a big thumbs up for both of us. Absolutely. I would. I want to go and watch this film again. Yeah. Also, just quickly, I mean, Henry Golden, we're going to mention him again. Oh, yeah. He's in this film and he's he gets more to do in this film than he does in the other film. Yeah. But he's, he's, he's going places. I think he's going to be a very good actor. Yeah, me too. I thought he was great in A Simple Favor. Now, Matt... I think we have a challenge before us. Go. And I think that challenge is we have seven more movies to talk about. Let's see if we can finish this up in record time. Let's do it. All right. So next up is a white boy, Rick. What I can say about a white boy, Rick is I thought the performances were good, but the movie was very boring and choppy. You've take, it's almost like you've read my mind slash notes. Cause exactly what I've got. Matthew McConaughey is, you know, Matthew McConaughey levels of good. He was very good. He got um, uh, Richie Merritt, who plays uh, well Rick, uh, Richie. He's Richard Verse Jr. Because it's a true story. He's alright. I thought he was. I thought he was very good. Matthew McConaughey. I'd have liked a story about him because I thought his story was worth more to the film. I think, even though it's about the younger Rick, there was some. When it was good, it was alright. But when it wasn't, it was. It did drag. It was boring. There was some. Good moments with Bill Powley, who's unrecognisable, I thought, in this film. Yeah, it's too long, far too long, I think. But I like the fact that they didn't try to glorify any of the kind of heavier, nasty subjects. It was just there in black and white. But it just trundled along and it wasn't as good as I thought it was going to be. Average at best, but Matthew McConaughey was very good. Yeah, he was. Whether to give it a th- I'm not sure whether to give it a thumbs up because I think it's a good film in terms mm. of the story. I like the true story. So well, the, the true story was good, but well, true stories don't always necessarily make good movies. They don't. Uh, uh, for me, no, I'm going to say no. Yeah, no, me too. I'm, I'm thumbs down. That's what I'm going to say. Thumbs down for White Boy Rick. Thumbs down. But for the next film, we're talking about our boy. Henry Golding. Oh, Henry Golding's <laughs> back. I think we, I, I think we may be on the same wavelength, but I'm not entirely sure for this one. It's crazy rich Asians, and we, and you know, everybody, everybody's seen the the headlines. You know, 25 years it's been. We finally got a mainstream Hollywood film with an all Asian cast, and you know, let's just quickly jump in. The represent, representation matters, and this year's been big for that, which is fantastic. Long may it continue to become the norm, and I one day I hope I never have to keep saying that, but. This is where we live in, but yeah, Crazy Rich Asians is a rom-com. It's more romantic than comedy, I think, but it's great. It's funny, colourful. The performances are brilliant. Aquafina actually gets something to do, unlike in Ocean's 8. Ken Ken Yong's in it, and the theatre laughed every time he came on, even if he didn't say anything, even though he gets the main laughs. There's a scene in this film involving a wedding towards the end, which is going to destroy guys all over the world because their partners are going to want that wedding now and if you can't give it to them they may find somebody who can because there's a yeah there's a stunningly looking scene in this is i think it's a great brilliant constance Wu. i i think i learned love with her henry golden who was so charming in this in this film 
I thought he was fantastic. But and Michelle Yeoh as well. She could kill you with a glance. This good story. It was cool. It was confident. It you know it did what I wanted it to do from a from a rom com. Well crafted characters, likable. The story was good. Good laughs, and I felt good coming out of it. And that's the most important thing. I was smiling when the end credits hit. Yeah. I mean, Crazy Rich Asians, I thought it was good. I thought it was impactful. I Impactful because it being a very diverse film, I I loved it for that specific reason. And I also mm-hmm. loved it because who doesn't love a good romantic comedy? Exactly. And Crazy Rich Asians, it's a good romantic comedy. Unfortunately for me, though, besides people are going to be offended by this no matter what I say, so I'm just going to say it, is the fact that I didn't find the film to be overly special like i love the fact that it's a film that has the majority of its cast be an asian cast i think that's important but the as a story as a narrative story this is definitely i mean watch any story about somebody who meets someone way out of their league and then they go into a relationship with them and they have to meet their family watch Watch any number of films. Watch My Big Fat Greek Wedding. Watch uh, The Prince and Me. Watch The Princess Diaries. Everyone should see that film. I mean, literally, this film has so many of the same cliches as so many other films. But then again, those things do not bother me. So although I don't find it overly special, I still think it's a very good and important film that people should see. If more, more than anything, it's a good date movie. Yeah. Apart from that wedding scene, which will ruin uh, most guys chances, but yeah, it is a good date movie. But and um, thumbs up. They're making a sequel to it, which was announced before this, because it's, it's set on a, I think a trilogy of books. Because if you liked this film, then buckle up because there's at least one more, if not two more films, but yeah, I'm going to, Give it a thumbs up for this one. And I believe Cody did as well. Yep, I did. And here's the funny thing. I slipped up and you're going to have to take the lead for the next little bit, Matt, because these next three I have not seen at all. (laughs) That is fine. I will blast through these. The first one is The Little Stranger starring Donald Gleeson. It's a Lenny Abrahamson film. I don't want to say too much about this film because I think this is a film that well, I think more people should see it. It's a horror thriller, gothic drama type film. It's very eerie. Uh, this is a kind of film that I think Winchester could have been if they'd basically just crapped all over the other one and just remade it. If they'd done it more like this in terms of the style and how it's written and how it's presented, it that's how it should have been. It should have been done. But it's kind of a, it's a classical looking piece. It's got a got a kind of haunting, moody look to it. Donald Gleason's very good. It's got a very it's got a another one of the endings which I like the ending, but you know it may have to it may have to be explained to certain people. I don't know. I I, I know I've heard a lot of people are giving this film a negative reviews, but I don't see why because I think it's a it's an effective you know gothic horror drama film. So for me, thumbs up for this film. Uh, the next film on the list is um, is American Animals. Now, I I only saw this film very very recently. Again, it's based on a true story of four teenagers who are in university, and they basically set out to steal some very important books, just valuable books, just so they can you know, be be somebody, so they can have a purpose for existing. It's not a 
uh, emo type film. It's just kids stuck in a rut, basically, and thinking that if they do this, they can get away with it and they can get rich and everything will be fine. Everything will be sorted. But the cast is fantastic. So the the main four guys, we've got Evan Peters, who is very good. At first, I thought he was going to really get on my nerves, but he shapes himself to be a very good character in this film. It's kind of uh, Blake Jenner's in it, Barry Cohen, uh, Barry Keen from Dundalk, and Jared Abrams is in it as well. They are the four teenagers, and they are portraying four, uh, four real life characters who are also in this film because it's kind of shot like a documentary drama type film. But all I will say is it's flipping good film. It's tense. The acting is brilliant. There's one part in it I didn't like, not because it was a bad fit, because it. It's quite a harrowing scene in the sort of the in the beginning of the third act. It's oh, it's a bit a bit of a I don't know. It was a bit of a not a touchy scene, but it felt very real and it was a bit yeah harrowing. But I loved this film. I thought it was really good, and I can see this one propelling ever closer to my top twenty of the year. So if you get a chance to watch it, watch it because it's it's fun in a in how the main four leads work. It's compelling. It's intriguing. It, and overall, it's well written. It's damn good, and how it's how it cuts between. It's almost like an Itonia type style of how it's presented with the real life guys and how they blend in with the younger guys playing them. I like that aspect of it. So for me, American Animals gets a big thumbs up. I was surprised how much I enjoyed this film. As for the next film, uh, I wish I could bleach my eyes and never have to experience it again. And it's Mandy. <laughs> Everybody is raving about this film. And I've sat down with with joy in my heart to watch this, and I hated this film. It's just an excuse for Nicolas Cage to go mad, for people to go, "Oh wow, look at Nick Cage going mad!" And it's you know the memes will be flying from this film. It's oh, it's just awful. And lots of people like it because visually it's interesting and intriguing. It's apparently it's been called a heavy metal album. You know, brought to brought to life in cinema in cinematic way, which I can see that, but it's awful. I thought it was really, really bad. There's nothing about it which was particularly good. Even even the score by Johan Johansson, which is his last score, I didn't like that. There's a chainsaw fight in it, which is admittedly very good. Nicolas Cage is the best part of the film. Yes, he gets to go mad, which is starting to become his thing, even more so now, and it's getting a bit tiresome because. The guy can act, act a bit more, but I don't know. I just everything about this film, I just thought it was just right. If Nicholas Cage wasn't in this film, nobody'd be talking about it. Put it like that, it's just unnecessarily violent. That it's weird for the sake of being weird. It just, I get the, what it's trying to say. It's not done, for me. It's not done very well, and I know I've, a lot of people have told me respectfully as well. This is what, the one film where people are, I've disagreed with people, and they've been very forthcoming and respectful, which is. Unlike the internet, but they have been. Um, but yeah, I absolutely despised this film. Really didn't like it. It's a massive thumbs down from me. But I know lots of people who who think this is one of the best films of the year. So hell, it's just one of those films that just doesn't rock for everybody. But back on track now. So that's uh, my three. Two yeses and a no. But the next up is uh, Peppermint. So uh, off you go. Okay, off I go. Well, spoiler alert for both Peppermint and The House with a Clock in Its Walls. Both of them are a thumbs down for me the, uh-huh. <laughs> for different for different reasons. But starting out with Peppermint, Peppermint, I thought the concept was cool. 
Like I thought the concept was really interesting, but the fact is the film is choppy. The screenplay is horrendous. And the fact it's, it's not like taken to where you automatically buy that Liam Neeson can go after these guys and take him out. Cause he's got a very specific set of skills from his past. <laughs> no, we're just automatically told that Jennifer Gardner has trained for the past five years but yet we never see any of that. <laughs> we just get to and, see it. and yet she's automatically an expert at it. And we have no reason to believe that she is. You know, there's this little thing called character development and character structure and plot structure. And the fact of the matter is <laughs> none of it is here. So Peppermint is a big thumbs down for me. And it's a shame because I thought the movie looked cool from the marketing. I hated the poster for this film. I really thought it looked cheap as anything. I didn't. I thought the it's not just a bad title; it's a bad film as well. This is just if you've seen a revenge flick, you've seen all of them. It does everything you think it does. You get some tragedy at the beginning. You suddenly get a normal person who's now a superhero and untouchable. You get your violence. You get explosions. You get a little bit of hardship. Some near misses, and a big face off with the big bad. It's ridiculous. You get the Jennifer Garner. She gets a scene where she has to. Which is under attack from about twenty people who are clearly a lot more skilled and a lot more trained uh, and a lot more lethal than she is. But you kind of probably guess what happens next. But when this film, when these kind of films are done right, like John Wick's or like Kill Bill, they can be so much fun. But this is just a slog because it's just so by numbers and so generic. Jennifer Garner basically just gets to sneer, and basically that's the only reason that she manages to kill everyone simply because she cuts her hair. That's the only thing. I, that's any character development I can see. If she cut her hair. But, yeah, she got a gym membership and she cut her hair. Whoop dee, yeah. freaking do! Suddenly, she's taken out these highly trained killers, and I mean, this is done by the guy who directed Taken. He also did from Paris of Love. So yeah, take that what you will. But yeah, bad, basic bad guys, cardboard cut out characters. Everything about this film was just dripping in awfulness. I just didn't. I, even if you liked. Uh, the director's other films, you probably still won't like this film because it's just so bad. It's unenjoyable and instantly forgettable. So, yeah, massive thumbs down for me. Yeah, thumbs down for me too. And we've reached the finale. So, I've already stated my piece on this. The house with the clock in its walls. This is a thumbs down for me. It's not for the sake of poor performances because there are some great performances in here. Kate Blanchett and Jack Black are the, they bring so much charisma to every role that they do. And it's no different here. They are without, I, I want a, if we got a solo film of just those two, I would not complain because the lore that those two characters have, the mythology behind them, I was fully invested. Every scene that Jack Black and Kate, uh, the Kate Blanchett were in were my favorite parts of the movie. Unfortunately, in a world that is so brimming with magic, none of it feels magical. There is so much color in this world and so much magic to be discovered, except it's not even explored. Like we're told things, but we aren't shown things. And I feel as though that's a fundamental part of filmmaking and storytelling that so many people are forgetting to do these days Yeah, is the fact that when it comes to great storytelling, great storytellers show they don't tell. And if they do tell, 
It's for the purpose of the story. If we look at great filmmakers like Nolan, Denis Villeneuve, Steven Spielberg, all of these great phenomenal filmmakers, their actions and the stories that they tell are shown on screen. Unfortunately, when it comes to Eli Roth, I've never been the biggest fan of his because although he shows things on screen, none of the things that he has shown, even when he does adult stuff, even when he does stuff like the green inferno or i believe he also directed hostile the fact of the ma- the fact of the matter is he it's like he just throws stuff up on screen without any particular purpose for it being there and it's the same thing here do i think that the house with a clock in its walls is the best film that he has made yes it, i mean there's no doubt in my mind it's the best film he's made which is surprising because he's never dipped his toes into making child films before. But that's my statement on this. And it's a shame because when it comes to the house with the clock in its walls, I was so excited for it because the marketing for this film was great. I thought it was phenomenal. But it just turns out to be just a big disappointment and a big shame from somebody who... I hate to say just doesn't know how to make a compelling story. Yeah. And I mean, this is a 45 year old novel and I can see why they got Eli Roth on board because the novel itself is quite creepy and dark. It's one of those kind of bits. It's like a children's horror. Kind of like what the brothers Grimm kind of did as well. I can see why they got him on board for that eerie mystery. But it, for me, it was like the first few Harry Potter films, but just without the charm. And the affability that made those films, you know, alluring and watchable and enjoyable. It just felt, yeah, as you said, it all felt a bit too mundane to be magical. It's just, yeah. Jack Black and Kate Blanchett were very good. I thought the, I've sadly, and it always pains me to say this about young actors, but I thought the the young boy, Aaron Vaccaro, the lead, wasn't that great. For me, I don't think he sold their role all that well. But when you're up against Jack Black and Kate Blanchett, you put, most people would get overshadowed anyway. But yeah, I thought the tone was strange. It felt a bit like goosebumps to me. It went from being trying to be funny to adventurous to having a few jump scares for kids in there. And it didn't really do any of them all that well. But yeah, I, th- I think Universal Pictures marketed it very well. But sometimes, as we know, trailers can be misleading and... I didn't have anywhere near as much sun as I thought I was going to have with this film. And again, based by the fact they've got like 12 stories in this in this canon of books, the first off, this is off to a bad start if they were going to try and go any further to this. But I don't know, I didn't, yeah, I just thought it was, wasn't as magical as it should have been. It wasn't as charming as it should have been and this wasn't as fun as it should have been. So for me, same here, it's a thumbs down from me. Once again, it's just a, it's just a shame it and could I think have been I've, more, but yeah. Yeah, I think I've spoken my piece on this. And we've reached the end of our list, but there is one more point that I want to make before we it. before we finish, is that this year, like I am surprised. It has not been a great year for film. I mean, especially if you compare it to last summer, last year as a whole, I can't speak for the fall because I have a feeling that this fall is going to blow away the past few falls that we've had in terms Mm -hmm. of movies because I have heard nothing 
but praise for everything that is coming out. Apart from Venom. Apart from Venom, because nobody knows anything, and we're all pretty sure that Sony has no faith in that darn thing. <laughs> it's just, when we have years like this, it kind of disappoints me. It kind of, you know, I don't think we've had a summer that's as bad as this one since probably 2009. Because if you remember the year of 2009, there were a lot of great expectations for what we were going to have for the year. And it just turned out to be really disappointing until pretty much the end of the summer. And I feel as though that same thing can be applied here. I mean, you even look at the month of September. The month of September, there wasn't really anything super spectacular. No, I agree. We got think, we got the next three months to look forward to, which is awesome. I think a lot uh, of the problem is the summer films nowadays um, I think the summer is almost like a dumping ground at some points now because so many films were released and you used to have February and uh, September and October, those kind of months were, you know, when these studios would push the films out where they'd had no faith in. Whereas now, you know, January, February, March, they're big times for films. Obviously, the end of the year is as well because you've got the fall or autumn over here and you've got the Christmas period. But yeah, the summer just seems to be bloated now with films that are either just, pretty, just good or not really not very good and this i found myself thinking it's i'm glad you mentioned that i found myself thinking it recently that just looking even just looking through the list of films you've spoken about today I mean, we've gone through the best part of 40 films almost but there's nothing here i mean you got mission impossible fallout that was very very good and i liked first reformed and you really like christopher robin and eighth grade but that aside the rest of the films are either just you know very good good or they're awful there's very little standout films from this year so far, I think. And hell, that is that's the third episode of the movie quarter. That wraps this one up, and it's been a wildly mixed bag. So uh, we will be back in another three months' time to close out 2018. Uh, and I'm pretty sure if I ask Cody nice enough, we can also give our top five for the year in that final show as well each. But uh, in the next few months, here we've got Star is Born in the next week, but Venom. Bohemian Rhapsody, First Man, Fantastic Beast 2, Suspiria, Aquaman, Bad Times at the El Royale, El Royale, Bumblebee, Mary Poppins Returns, uh, even things like um, Mortal Engines, a Peter Jackson produced film. There's so much coming out that is could potentially be fantastic, which at the end of the year it might make you forget what came before. So I've got high hopes for an awful lot of them. But for this episode, thank you once again to the majestic Cody Curtis for his time. And great insights once more. Oh, no problem, Matt. Thank you so much for having me. No, man, I enjoyed this one an awful lot. So where can the world find you online uh, when you're not doing this show? All right. Well, when I'm not doing this, guys, you can find me on YouTube. Just go up to the search bar and search Cody Curtis. You can find me there. Um, Should be the first name that pops up. So I do movie reviews. I started getting back into talking about books and video games. Right now I'm deciding to kind of bust it back from what I was doing before because for the good part of a year I was uploading content pretty much every single day. But I found out just how miserable and bad for my health that was because I I literally haven't been able to focus on anything else. But other than that, if you guys want to follow me on social media – oh, wait – 
if you guys want to follow me and see what I'm doing with my great friend Zach Pope, we have a podcast called the Sweet Film Podcast. We also have a game show that we started up two months ago called Entertainment Wars, which is all about creativity and pitching ideas. And as far as social media is concerned, except for Facebook, because I'm officially off Facebook and I do not think I'll be going back anytime soon. You guys can find me uh, by searching either Cody Curtis or underscore Cody underscore Curtis. Uh, yeah, do check out Cody's work because an awful lot of work does go into it to the point where, yes, he's burnt out slightly. And I'm not surprised, but don't stop doing it because we like listening to it. Oh, I'm never going to stop. Good man. Yeah, if you want to find me, if you really want to, what I watch tonight.co.uk, uh, Instagram, Twitter, and uh, coincidentally back on Facebook after about a year or so off. Uh, just search for what I watch tonight you'll find us wherever there may be podcasts we will be there on every single platform now so if you like what you hear tell your friends share share these episodes leave a review and a rating it really helps the show and it's just good for me and Cody to hear just some positive feedback if you don't like the show just don't don't tell anyone about that part of it but from <laughs> me in anticipation of for the last three months of the year it's see ya and from Cody you guys are awesome Okay.